Tony's already said, we're continuing today our series, working through the Ten Commandments. We call this series, Living the Good Life. And as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, that's because the, the Ten Commandments were given by God, not as a, a kind of onerous or oppressive, uh, restrictive set of rules to somehow limit people, but given as... Uh, a way of life that is actually fruitful and life-bringing, life the way God designed it to be lived for our good and for his glory. And so actually, these aren't uh, somehow kind of restrictive or oppressive. Actually, these are words of life, words that bring freedom to us. Uh, And so we've come today to the fourth commandment. We, if, you've, if you're astute, you'll know that we're only on the third week, uh, and we're already on commandment number four. We, we're grouping them together, uh, but we're taking commandment number four on its own. And so we're going to read from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, uh, and look at this fourth commandment. Uh, and so we're going to jump straight in, read, and then we'll pray and get into it together. So if you've got your Bibles, please do open them up to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some on the back. Please feel free to help yourself. Uh, And failing that, it will be on the screen here behind me. But I would always encourage you, if you have a Bible, open it and read it. Don't just take my word for it that what I've put on the screen is what it says, right? Check it out for yourself. Read for yourself that this is what God's word has to say to us. So we're going to read Exodus 20, verse 8 through to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray and then get into it. Lord, we thank you for your word. Actually, we thank you that this is a precious gift to us. Lord, that you haven't left us to just try and uh, kind of work all this out, but you, in your kindness, have given us your word uh, by which you speak to us with clarity and authority. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear and to understand what you would speak to us today. Lord, let your word sink deep into our hearts. Would it bear fruit? in our lives, in the weeks and months and years ahead. For your glory we ask. Amen. Good. Well, all of the commandments, and this is why we're looking at them, still hold for Christians today. You know, we, we talked about this in the first week. There are some people who would look at the Ten Commandments and they're like, oh, that's Old, old Testament, Old Company, you know, we're past that now. Like, that's not for us in Jesus Guys, that's not the case. (laughs) They're absolutely for us. Not not for us as a way to try and earn or win God's approval. Not for us to obey in order to try and earn our salvation or make ourselves acceptable to God. But they are there for us to live for his glory, to live fruitful 
lives, the good life, as God designed it. And so they're all for us, and all of them, without exception, find a new depth and dimension in Jesus. Jesus is perfect fulfillment of the Lord. Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection transforms the way we view and understand the law. It, and different commandments in different ways, but particularly this fourth commandment finds a whole new depth in the finished work of Jesus, which we get to enjoy today. We could easily spend several weeks on this commandment, okay? Very easily. In fact, I'd quite like to in some ways. You could quite easily argue that for the Israelites, they viewed this as the most important. It's referenced more times in the Old Testament than any of the other commandments. It's referenced and talked about uh, and taught into more times in the Pentateuch, the first five books, than any of the other commandments. This was a big deal for them, and it is for us. And we're going, though, today to try and keep it focused <laughs> and not get too kind of out in the detail because there's a lot that we could say about the Sabbath, but we're going to try and keep it pretty tight. And so... We're going to structure it like this. We're going to talk briefly about what it meant to them when it was first given in the ways that it still applies to us. So we're going to ignore some of the culturally bound aspects that have no particular application for us today. So we're going to look at what it meant for God's people when it was given. We're going to look at how Jesus transformed it. And then we're going to look at what the early church practiced in the light of what Jesus did, and therefore how we should apply it, right? Because they set the pattern. Yes? Cool. Good. So we begin. Remember, these are the words of God introduced himself at the start of chapter 20, yeah? We read that, 20 verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he says this in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There is a day that God's people are supposed to mark, supposed to remember and set apart. That's what holy means. It means set it apart. So remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Set it apart for special purpose, for special attention. There's a day that they're supposed to have distinct from other days. And we immediately find out when that is and what it means. From verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, that's a Saturday, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. The seventh day of the week. Saturday for them should be set apart to the Lord your God. Okay? So there's something that's supposed to happen on the Sabbath, that makes it distinct from all other days. It's marked out for special attention, 
specifically to the Lord your God. It's a day devoted to the worship of God. That was the purpose. A day in his honor. And on that day, you and all in your household are supposed to rest from work. It's interesting to note that true Sabbath rest, and I think this actually holds today, true Sabbath rest is not individualistic. There is a communal aspect to Sabbath rest as God designed it. It doesn't just say you should all do it. It says you and your son and your daughter and your servants and actually just anyone who's traveling through and happens to be staying with you are supposed to observe this. And that means that using anyone else's labor to secure your rest is not Sabbath rest as God designed it. Interesting. Putting your feet up and expecting others to work and serve you is not Sabbath rest. Otherwise, the instruction wouldn't be for your servants to rest too. I think there's a broader principle here, which is that actually our failure to obey God always has a knock-on impact on others. We don't exist in a vacuum. And likewise, our obedience has a knock-on impact on others. It should benefit others. Your Sabbath should benefit others and enable rather than hinder their obedience to God. It's a rest that's supposed to be enjoyed by everyone. And what reason is given here for this instruction to work six and rest one? Like, why not? I mean, it seems arbitrary, doesn't it? Six, one, like, why not? I mean, we all seem to have more of a pattern of the five and two going on when it comes to work and rest. But, but it says in verse 11, this is why... For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. At the beginning of this section, they're told to remember the Sabbath, to recall to mind. This isn't an entirely new concept to them. To understand it in this way might be, but it's not entirely new. They're supposed to remember it. And at least in this part, what they're calling to mind is that the Sabbath is in part about identity, about who they are. See, mankind was made in the image of God. It's his image bearers to reflect his glory. And God set this pattern of work and rest at creation. And as his image bearers, we're supposed to live out that pattern to reflect him. In other words, this idea wasn't just some kind of bolt-on later. <laughs> Actually, the appeal here to creation account is saying this has always been how it should be. When in Scripture we find stuff going right back to appeal to the creation account... It's like a shorthand way of saying, like, this bit isn't going to change. <laughs> like, it's always been like this. It's always going to be like this. It's how you were made to live. It's interesting to consider, isn't it, where our seven-day week comes from? Have you ever really given it much thought? See, so our days come from the Earth's rotation on its axis. Yeah? So as the Earth spins round, we get day and night, and God ordered it to be that way. 
our months are loosely, more or less, shaped by the lunar calendar, the phases of the moon. Our years, by how long it takes for the Earth to travel around the sun. But seven days, apart from the creation account in Scripture, is, seems an entirely arbitrary choice, doesn't it? Like, why have a seven-day week? This is where it comes from. It comes from the creation account and the pattern that God set for us. The most essential and foundational calendar that anyone has to work to is the seven-day week that God ordained, that he gave to his people. Seven days that reached their peak in a day of rest and of worship. Seven days that reached their peak in a day set aside for special attention, for the worship of God, for the honoring of God. The pinnacle of what we're designed to do the pinnacle of what all creation is about and points towards is baked into this seven-day pattern. Seven days that culminate in worship of God. Here's another thing we need to observe, and this is really, really important for us to notice in here, is that when the Israelites were told by God to remember the Sabbath, their experience in Egypt and their observation of all the so-called gods of the nations would have been very opposite to what God's just said here. Because these so-called other gods required your work, required your labor in order to appease them, worship them. It's about what you did in order to appease them, to earn their approval. Do more, try harder, and the sun god might help you out. The rain gods might send the rain. And yet here, Yahweh, the great I am, who's brought them out of slavery, does totally the opposite. He commands rest as worship. Where all the gods the so-called gods of the nations require work to honor them. It's interesting, isn't it? I think we still today, the things that people give themselves to in worship require more and more and more and more and demand of you. And when you stop, you stop feeling the reward and so you more and more. And here, the God of heaven says, rest. <laughs> as worship. Instead of saying do more, he says stop. Cease your labors and rest. How good is God? <laughs> How good is God? But, but this rest is not just about taking time off to relax physically. Sabbath rest is a deliberate ceasing from work or activity for the purpose of remembering God's provision and to worship him for it. See, the day is set aside to God. So the, the purpose of rest is not just to kind of 
switch off, kick back, and unwind so that you're physically refueled for the next day. The purpose of this Sabbath rest is to stop your labors and to fix your eyes on him and rest in him. Sabbath rest is a a deliberate break from any activity that might reinforce my belief in my own self-sufficiency. In their culture at this time, if they didn't work, they didn't eat, right? So, So within the first few hundred years of this being given, a society dependent on agriculture and harvest, hey, that Sabbath might be the one dry day. Might be the, that's the good day to get the harvest in. But God says, no, trust me. <laughs> Cease your labors. Don't go out into the field. Fix your eyes on me. It's a deliberate break from any activity that might reinforce your belief in your own self-sufficiency. And, and the reason for that is that it reorients us towards God and reminds us of our need for him. See, we're very quick, all of us, to forget how much we need him (laughs) and to begin to think that we can do it on our own, that we can earn it for ourselves, that we're the ones making it happen. But God instructs the Sabbath because we need to rest and because it reminds us of an important truth. See, in one way or another, we can all naturally incline to believe that we keep the world spinning. All of us, in one way or another, incline towards that belief. We could all of us list things that we think, I can't stop that because if I do, the balls will drop. Like it won't happen. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? How's, it, how's that going to work? Maybe in the workplace, in the family. God instituted this pattern of one day rest for our good. But Sabbath is also a sign that God cares for his people when they trust him. So it's not just simply designed or intended to restore us physically, although it does do that, because it's a very mechanical way of viewing rest. The Sabbath rest isn't just about being restored physically so we can go again at work. So we're ready again on Monday to go again. But it's supposed to reorient us spiritually so that we remember we're not God. We're not sustaining Everything. In fact, we're not really sustaining anything. And when we stop, he goes on sustaining. That's how it works. It's designed to remind us of the fact that we're not God. He is. We stop. We trust him to provide. We rest and trust him to sustain 
We remember that he's God and we're not, and we worship him for that great truth. This is what the Sabbath is about. And if we lived that pattern of Sabbath rest that I've just spoken about, it would be really good for us. (laughs) It would be really good for us. It would do us good to set aside a day a week to focus on God, to worship Him, to to rest, to, to lay down the belief or idea or notion that, that we're keeping it all going and to step back and to fix our gaze on him and to trust him to be God. That, that would be a good thing. We should do it. <laughs> but that's not all there is for us in the Sabbath. Because Jesus transformed it completely amazingly he added a new depth to it the first thing we need to know about Jesus' relationship with the Sabbath is that he upheld the Sabbath as with every other aspect of God's law Jesus obeyed the Sabbath perfectly now if you read the gospels you'll find several accounts of Jesus doing things on the Sabbath like healing people And then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are like, ha, caught you. Like, that was work, healing that guy's hand. (laughs) Jesus didn't break the Sabbath rule. It's not work to restore life. It's not work to bring healing and wholeness in that way. Jesus upheld the Sabbath perfectly. He, he broke the Pharisees' added layers of really onerous and particular rules about what did and didn't constitute work. He, he did do that. But that wasn't God's law. That was their very heavily restrictive view of God's law. Jesus perfectly upheld the Sabbath. Multiple accounts of him attending the synagogue to worship on the Sabbath in the Gospels and in Luke 4, it's quite helpful actually, in Luke 4, 16, we read that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. (laughs) As well as having multiple accounts, we're just told straight up, like this is what he did. And of course he did because God commanded his people to do it and Jesus lived it out perfectly But Jesus also broadened out our understanding of the Sabbath hugely. Because in so many ways, what the Sabbath was always pointing to is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus came so that you could truly rest from the works of self-reliance and self-righteousness. Jesus came so that you could truly rest from the burden of trying to be good enough or earn God's favor. Jesus came so that you could truly rest and trust him to provide. Trust him to provide a right standing before God that you couldn't make on your own. The Sabbath was also about communion with God. It was setting aside a time to be with God. A time 
to the Lord. We can only really enjoy communion with God because of the work of Jesus at the cross. Cleansing us from the sin that would separate us from God and prevent us from enjoying communion with him. Jesus, in a truer and deeper sense, brings us the Sabbath. And this isn't just a one day a week deal. So in its first instance, the Sabbath was one day in six. A day of communion with God, a day of worship to God, a day of rest and ceasing from our striving. But every single day, we're invited to Sabbath in Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, we read Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Just as God said to the Israelites when he gave that fourth commandment, cease your working and trust me. Jesus echoes that invite, but in a, a new and deeper way. That's not just about one day a week, but about the whole of life. An invite to Sabbath every day, resting from the works of self-righteousness and delighting in God's gracious and perfect provision. Remembering that he's done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. <laughs> so our Sabbath, in its truest sense, is in Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Is that clear or is it confusing? Clear? Cool. Our Sabbath is in Jesus. And so that could lead us to the conclusion that we go, amazing. Well, we don't need a special day then. Like we just Sabbath all the time with Jesus. It's great. Well, I'm just like constantly Sabbathing. Like it's my permastate. <laughs> Case closed. Well, yeah, we do in Jesus have an ongoing Sabbath rest that is incredibly freeing. In Jesus, you are welcomed to come and rest from the burden of trying to earn approval. You're invited to come and rest and delight in his love and grace towards you. You're invited to come and know the freedom of your sins forgiven, your conscience cleansed, to, to enjoy communion with God day in, day out. But that doesn't remove, actually, or change the idea that there's a day, that there's times of special focus on that relationship, setting aside time to be with him and to honor him, to, to lay aside your daily grind and to rest in him. And the early church would agree with that. Jesus didn't abolish the Sabbath, he fulfilled it. 
He didn't actually say there should be no day of rest. You won't find him say that anywhere in Scripture. And, and the early church didn't treat it as though he had. He fulfilled it and he broadened its scope, but he didn't remove it. And so the early church took those Sabbath principles and the new depth that Jesus brought to it and they lived it out. Yes, they enjoyed Sabbath rest every day with Jesus, but they also continued a pattern of one day in seven given over to the Lord just as Jesus had done. Over time, instead of it being a Saturday, as was the Jewish custom, Christians began to focus on a Sunday. I mean, there's a really good reason for that change, right? To mark the resurrection. (laughs) Jesus rose again, the Lord's day. And so Christians, through history actually, have have taken this principle of Sabbath, but instead of celebrating on a Saturday, have taken it as a Sunday in honor of Jesus' resurrection on the Lord's day. But doing that didn't diminish the early church's view of the importance of setting aside time to honor God or setting aside time to worship together. Jesus observed the Sabbath. He didn't say we should ignore it. The early church practiced it. See, our understanding of Sabbath means that gathering like this is really important. Actually, a a right understanding of Sabbath means that we would prioritize gathering with God's people to worship, setting aside time to the Lord. In addition to your daily routine, God has prescribed for you, for the good life, a day, a week to give special attention to the health and nourishment of your soul. And a big part of that happens in fellowship with other Christians. And I fear that too many people today actually view corporate worship as like a a good to do, but not so important that it can't be easily displaced by other things. But from the earliest days of the church, it's been a non-negotiable priority. You can see that if you read the New Testament, you read the letters to the churches... They prioritized gathering as God's people to worship. You read Acts and you see that they gathered frequently in and out of one another's homes, but also in the temple courts. They gathered to worship. In Hebrews 10, 25, we we get that exhortation and reminder, don't give up meeting together. Don't forsake it. Don't give it up. Prioritize it. It's not all about Sunday. (laughs) But there is an appropriate and scripturally warranted focus on Sunday as a day of worship. As a significant moment in the week. The, The great physician, God, knows what you need. And part of his prescription for you that we find in the Ten Commandments and we see worked out in the life of Christ and on into the early church is that you have a day a week set aside to him. A day in the week set aside from work to given over to prayer 
and worship. A day to reorient your heart towards God. Remember, one of the purposes of the Sabbath is taking our focus off ourselves and our ability to make something happen, our self-reliance, and to reorient our hearts again on Him. You know, as a family, we've got a, some of, look, quite a few of you, actually. Most of you have been in our home. And you've probably seen that we've got this wall calendar uh, where it's like a mat, it's not battery powered in any way. You have to turn the dials to change the date. And sometimes we, we lag behind because you have to remember to turn it. Um, but one thing I really like about it, and I don't think it was the manufacturer's intent at all, is that when you hit Saturday, um, so you, you have to turn the things one way to move on a day, and then when you get to Saturday, you have to go all the way back through all the days to get to Sunday again as the first day of the week. And if you accidentally go the wrong way, you just get this little print that says, turn back. <laughs> and almost every week, I accidentally get to Saturday and I just, I get up on Sunday morning, I'm like, right, let's keep going. And I turn it the wrong way and I get this reminder, turn back. And after then, okay, let's go back. And it's a silly thing. <laughs> but it serves as a great reminder to me because this is in some ways the purpose of the Sabbath. The reason God gave us this day, it's a, a call weekly as we gather with God's people to turn back to him, to reorient our hearts towards him, to focus again on him, to worship Christ as our Lord. And the other key principle that remains is rest. Rest as an act of trust, as a reminder of your dependence on God. And, and there is a tension. There's a tension not to be too prescriptive, right? About how we practice the Sabbath. Because that's what the Pharisees did. And they didn't get it right, right? So they, they just came up with loads of rules about what was and wasn't work and what you could and couldn't. And I had a really disheartening conversation some years ago with some, some Jews who, who still practice the Sabbath very strictly and they, they can't use electricity and they were like, oh, you, you can't turn the light switch on and they'd kind of, they, they'd found like a little skirt round of like you get someone else to turn the light on for you and I sort of wanted to say, yeah, but if you read it, it says like you're not supposed to work and your family's not and your servants and your, but anyway, they, people have gone to town on adding these incredible layers of rules about what you should and shouldn't and can and can't and, and Christians can get right up in knots over like can you shop on a Sunday can you play sports on a Sunday like if you have a job that requires you to work on a Sunday should you say no to your boss like what do you like what do you do and there are great heroes of guys like Eric Little who some of you is the chariots of fire guy more people when you say chariots of fire go oh yeah 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 this incredible gifted athlete who was so personally convicted that he shouldn't do that on a Sunday, that he missed out on a shot at Olympic gold, ran a different event and got the gold in that event instead. But he just knew he was that good at multiple things. But it, people get in all kinds of a twist today and, and people will tell you what you should and shouldn't on the Sabbath. And I guess I want to say, if those things take a priority in your life, 
over gathering to worship with God's people regularly and consistently, then they may well have a point. Right? If you consistently choose sport over gathering to worship with God's people, then I think you probably need to consider that. If every time there's an overtime shift that comes up and you think, I could do with the extra money and it happens to be on a Sunday, you go for it. I I think, respectfully, I, I would say, I think you need to consider your observance of the Sabbath and what God's created you for and called you to in his image. And we're wrestling through this at the moment, as a family, right? some of you who know us, well, you'll know that you'll have observed, if you're regular, that Jenny and Reuben aren't here today. And that's, that's really unusual for us. We're wrestling with it. Sunday has been a non-negotiable for us in our, in our house. We try to be away as few Sundays as possible in the year. Like, if we're away more than two two or three, I feel like, oh man, like we've been away loads. Like we really, that's, that's the way I, my family was growing up and so that's what I'm used to and the same for Jenny but it's also part of what we're convicted about the importance of, of Sunday given over to worship, to focus on God as a family and, and as a church community. And now our oldest son, Reuben, is it's climbing lots, doing lots of competitions. It's, he thinks it's what he'd like to do if he could make it as a pro climber. Like that's his goal and that's what he's working towards. And, and so today he's, he's gone to a selection event for GB climbing, which feels like a huge accomplishment. And we had this moment as a family though of like, is, is that more important? And how do we balance that? And how do we work that together? And we, we, I still don't feel, like, just to be really honest, like we're totally settled. Like we feel at peace with the decision we made today, having talked about it. It's, it's a great opportunity. It's easy to say that. I think the truth is that the world of elite sport does need Christians who will share the gospel with those around them. And we pray for Reuben and with Reuben to that end, Christians who are determined to be salt and light amongst their peers. But we're going to continue to wrestle with it. And there may well come a point if the number of Sundays increases that we say, I'm sorry, enough. It's not happening. Because this is more important. (laughs) Like, you might have a great future as a climber, but... Jesus is greater. (laughs) He's better. We're going to prioritize him. And we know others that we love and respect who would disagree with us on our convictions. And what's encouraging, though, is that these tussles and questions are not new for God's people. It's encouraging. (laughs) Actually, Paul wrote to the Colossian church and in a section of teaching about the freedom that Christ had won for them we read in Colossians chapter 2 he's in this block of teaching about the freedom they have in Jesus 
And he says this in verse 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. An overfocus of the externals on what you eat and when you worship misses the point and leads people to judge one another unhelpfully and unnecessarily. Instead of enjoying the freedom that Christ has won for us, we can end up tied up in knots and the kind of legalism that he came to free us from. So we need to be careful not to judge one another in this as a church. We need to hear that. We need to be careful not to judge others for the kind of thing Paul told us not to judge one another for. Whilst at the same time, and we've got to hold this tension, whilst at the same time we heed the exhortation in Hebrews and the clear pattern of God's people throughout history not to give up meeting together. See, if we think our freedom leads us to having a lax view of gathering as a church community, then I think we've entirely misunderstood the freedom which Christ has won for us. It's, it's like people who go, oh, but God's grace like, it's freed me from my sins, so I can, just, I can do whatever I like, and it's all okay. It's the same kind of attitude. Totally misses the point. So as we conclude, do we need to keep the fourth commandment? What do you think? Yes, we do. But we see that it's been transformed in Christ. Has a whole new dimension. The, the most full and beautiful way that we outwork the fourth commandment and observe it is to cease from the flawed and fruitless sinful labors of trying to justify ourselves and instead stop and turn to Christ and trust him and him alone to save us. Truly rest from trying to earn God's favor and rest in what Jesus has done for you. It's what Sabbath looks like. Some of us today, I think, are exhausted. I think in this room, there are people who just feel like you've been running and running and running and running, and you are just whacked. You're like, I, I don't know when the rest comes. Like, I, I'm just, I keep going and going and going. Guys, we need to heed the fourth commandment each week to make a point of celebrating the Lord's day. Don't let it get squeezed out, displaced by other things. Take time out to be with him, to worship him, to delight yourself in him. It's God's good provision for you to have a day, <laughs> to have a day off, but not just to kick back, but to delight in him. It's God's good provision for you to have a day. Use it as an anchor point in your week to rest and refocus and reorient your life around him. The Lord's day, this Lord's day, is a day to gather and worship and rest from our labors. But most importantly, 
We find our spiritual rest in Christ every day of the week. And so I want you to hear now Jesus' invitation to you. Come to me and I will give you rest. You don't have anything to prove on this Sabbath. You don't have anything to earn on this Sabbath. The world is not resting on your shoulders. You need to hear that today. I felt just as, we were, as I was preparing and we were praying before this service that there's some people who God just wants to lift that burden off you today. So it's not yours to carry. You need to come and enjoy Sabbath rest. I've come to unburden you, to take that weight off, the belief that it all rests on your shoulders. It's okay. You can stop. It's not all going to fall apart. You can stop and trust God. Stop. Trust Him to sustain you. Trust Him to provide. We're going to share.